everybody, and welcome to episode two of Torque Talk Radio. I am your host, Sam, with again, my good friend, Brock. Hey. Today, we want to dive into the inner working of Toyota's performance car renaissance and what it might be going into the future. Um, Obviously, everyone knows about the introduction of the Supra. It's been a long time coming, Um, as well as their new, I guess you could say, uh, poster children that they've uh, come up with in the name of the new GR uh, Corolla and the Yaris, which is a really, really cool thing that they have come up with. But it's going to be interesting because I'm excited to see if this is where they're starting, as well as the obvious, the 86 they've had for a couple years now. I'm really interested to see where they're going with it. So what do you think? What do I think? Yeah. What do you think? I think it's interesting. Um, like, GR stands for Gazoo Racing, which is garage, is what it stands for. Right. Gazoo. So, like, I've kind of, it's kind of interesting to me that, like, they've kind of transitioned out of TRD mostly, and their GR is becoming their, Gazoo Racing is becoming their number one staple that I find kind of interesting that they've decided to rebrand everything. Right, yeah, that is. You know, I haven't even thought about that, but they are, because you think about it, they're still using the TRD uh, yeah. nomenclature on a lot of their vehicles. I mean, they brought like out the, the, the... The 86 has still got that for their, like, special edition of that. I was about to say, because they've the, got the, the TRD 86, they've got the TRD Camry, they've got the TRD Avalon now, yeah. um, plus their pickup trucks and stuff like that, which those have been out for I'm, for a long time so i'm just curious if the because we know it's coming pretty much confirmed that a 86 with a turbo is going to be coming so i'm really curious if it's going to be a gr 86 if you get what i mean right yeah like, because it's like a like a sport version because we have we've known about the yaris which is the yaris a lot of people don't know yaris has been toyota's rally car for the past couple of years so they built a three-cylinder turbo engine that's been incredibly reliable in that car. So they decided to make it into a production application. Right. Plus, but, plus but, the the WRC is got homologation rules exactly. now. So, so but with the all so basically, it's ex- the Yaris is excluded out of the U.S. Like you can't get a GR Yaris in the U.S. You won't be able to. Right. But. It's still going to be really cool because it's this little tiny all-wheel drive, 257 horsepower, like really cool two-door like hatchback, whatever they technically call that. Right. But to me, it's super cool because they've never done anything this interesting. Like because they're venturing into Focus RS, Honda type R territory with that. Which is what brings us to our next point, which you, I'm sure you've heard about because you've got the dealership. Right, right. And that brings it to the, the Corolla, which is what we're going to yeah. get here in the United States. and Which is going to have the same three-cylinder turbo. Right. And see, this one, it makes me excited because you brought up the, the RS, the uh, Type R, stuff like that. I always thought they were going to bring a TRD Corolla out, especially since they just released the Camry and the Avalon. So I was like, oh yeah, it would make perfect sense for them to bring out a TRD Corolla. That would be like your, uh, you'd have like a TRD 
level one. I'm just going to call it level one or stage one. Uh, that would be like yeah. your your uh, ST fighter where it's it's still tame, but it's, it's a little bit better than just the factory Corolla. Um, you could kind of say that the current trim level they have right now, which is the X XRS, I should know this, I work for them, or XSE, that's what it is, the XSE. Um, yeah. That could kind of be your ST but it's really not. It, it does kind of fall short. It's only got like 180 horsepower. It's it's a six speed, but it's kind of not that inspirational. Just front wheel drive. No. Um, so yeah, the fact that they're bringing out this GR Corolla and it's gonna have the same three cylinder uh, turbo engine that the Yaris has. It's kind of like they know the United States want this because there is a market for it i mean you look how many sts are on the road you look how many si's sell uh from honda and even the type r i kind of think that they're playing the long game with it coming out so late i would as i say late it's because we've had gti's we've had type r's we've had rs's for years now right and they they know that there's a market for it so but the question is is because as we talked about briefly briefly on our last progress or podcast was that the new regulations in europe just got rid of the rs basically it could never be legal so the real question to me is if ford's going to continue making it because they just lost part of their very actually large part of their business because a lot of people in europe bought the rs right and and ford is still planning on building a focus st that they're going to be bringing to the states which is I mean, like, if you think about it, Ford's not backing out of the rally car series or anything like that, and they're still going to be using both the Fiesta and the Focus for stuff in that. And I do believe the new Focus WRC car, even though it is a bigger car now, it's almost in the same level as the uh, is... the Mini Cooper rally car. The Countryman? Yeah. I think is what they used. I think, uh, well, I think it's funny that Ford kind of gave up in the American Rally Series because Subaru is so dominant. Right, and yeah. So they're, Subaru they're only in back w- up. Yeah. yeah, they're only in WRC, and like Subaru, the funny part is, is Subaru really isn't in WRC at all. They're only in the American Rally Championship, which is... I've. you ever watch any of their uh, behind-the-scenes launch control episodes? Yes, yes, I did watch quite yeah. a few of those. Yeah. So those are like really cool, but it it just kind of shows how dominant they are, right? Because they have to have a they have to have a really bad weekend not to win, right? Or at least really, be in the top, really top two or three. So yeah, but I would love I really wish that Ford would like kind of step back into that ring and maybe bring some more qualified drivers instead of privateers, like which is what they got right now. Right, and they, and it could be a situation, too, that they just had an older platform, and now that they are bringing out the new model again, they were just kind of waiting for the new model yeah. to come in well, so they could test and develop with it. The only thing I'm really nervous about when it comes to this Corolla uh, GR for Toyota in general is the, the torque steer and understeer factor of it, because... We all know that the the Mazda three speed that was the biggest issue with those, and honestly, as soon as you start tuning the STs, either the Fiesta, which is really bad, and the uh, Focus, they have the same issue. They have a lot of torque steer and understeer issues. Right. It's so I'm just kind of curious if because I know 
that the Yaris is based off of the Mazda 2 chassis. Um, I'm curious on what the Corolla's chassis is, because if it's based off of a Mazda 3, then you could ha- it could be just be a Mazda 3, if you get what I mean. Well, the funny thing is, is I, I know that you're incorrect in that statement. Uh, okay, because- I didn't know. Right, 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 right. So, and just to just to give you some background, ironically enough, the Mazda three, not the current one, not the the newest one, but yeah. the one that just went out like a year or two ago, mm-hmm. that chassis is actually very very closely related to the Ford Focus. Ironically enough, ironically, okay, yeah, because you think about it, Ford still owns a major stake in Mazda. They don't own Mazda as a company anymore, no, but they, they still have a major, a major ownership stake in their uh, R and D department, I believe. So everything that Mazda does R and D wise, Ford still gets yeah. a, a chunk of that. Uh, so when they were building the new Focus, uh, when I say new, I mean like previous generation, the the focus that we've all known to come and love. And I use love very gingerly. Um, That (laughs) body style is very close. I would say like cousins to the the Mazda 3. It's not sisters. not like it's the same chassis. I I agree with that. But so anyway, the Mazda 2, the partnership between Toyota and Mazda for the Mazda 2 slash Yaris is just a partnership. It's not that they co-developed or anything like that. They Toyota basically just approached uh, uh, they, uh, they Mazda. They wanted to make it quick. Yeah, they just basically approached Mazda and said, hey, you're already building this car. Y'all got it pretty good. We're not really worried about trying to enter into this market with a brand new chassis, it's just not worth it to us. So we'd just like to use yours so we can focus on the Corolla. And that's why the Corolla got a brand new chassis this year. So I will say mm-hmm. the Corolla is, for a lack of better term, bespoke. Um, okay. I do believe that the chassis uses the same global architecture as the Camry and the Avalon. It's just like small, medium, large, I guess you could say. Uh, mm-hmm. But they do have a lot of similarities as far as their actual geometry for their suspension and stuff like that. Um, just being well, underneath of them, when you look at the underneath of them, when I have them at the shop, I'm like, yeah, those those do look very similar. Um, with that being said, though, you brought up the point of uh, torque steer and stuff like that. I agree with you completely because I've been in plenty of focuses. I've been in plenty of front-wheel drive hatchbacks or front-wheel drive sedans that just rip the steering wheel out of your hand yeah but if you remember i did have a honda si for for a while well i was about to say the only company that has gotten it right is always honda because they're the only ones i know that like the type r that people have put 320 wheel horsepower or 350 wheel horsepower to the front of it and it drives perfect yeah it it you doesn't know, it force steer. i mean even it my does, it, it's because of that they were the original ones back in the day um, to do the limited slip differential on right. the front that was so well-tuned that it – because I think it was the eighth-generation SI that was a big deal about that is when I think I think it really got really good, if you get what I mean. Right, yeah. The eighth generation was kind of the turning point. It, it, I've, yeah. I've heard a lot of – and, of course, I'm not a Honda guy. I just – I picked that car up because it was a good deal and I needed something that was reliable and – decently yeah. entertaining 
Um, and it filled that, that, that void perfectly. Um, but yeah, I heard from quite a few people who were actual Honda people that they're like, yeah, there's something about the eighth generation where they kind of had that turning point. But even if you look at the current SI and the current Type R, there's there's no understeer issue. Like when I I could put the I could plant my foot into the accelerator. Now, given I had an SI, it only had 200 and I want to say 210, I think, versus mm-hmm. the Type R has 100 horsepower or more. Um, but even in wet with no traction control, it would it would spin, but it wouldn't steer one way or the other. It always was dead straight. So, mm-hmm. and I do believe that the Corolla has a similar architecture as far as their just like the suspension angles and how they do the different control arms because it's it's not just the LSD. I remember a lot of people saying that it's not just the LSD. It's also the the how they do the front suspension and how they keep everything kind of in check and the corolla is very similar now i don't i've never driven one so i can't speak from personal experience but um being that they're going to be getting a significant amount of power out of this car and being that it is a smaller engine it's not going to have as much weight over the front axle i am curious to see as you are what it's going to do but needless to say, regardless of the technicals of it, it's just really cool that Toyota is paying attention to this again. They, they realize that they've got a bunch of younger buyers that are interested in this kind of stuff. It was, um, I think, our first light, I guess you could say, like light at the end of the tunnel was when they partnered up with Subaru and, and they made the FRS. Yeah, gave us the Originally. FRS. Um, I have a bone to pick with the FRS. And I'll get to that here in a second. But, mm-hmm. and it's not to do with the car itself. It, it's it's some completely other side thing that doesn't matter. But you know me, I, I'm going to school for marketing. So I, I see these things and it just, it, it irked me. But mm-hmm. um, when they brought out the FRS, BRZ, GT86, whatever the hell you want to call it, it showed that Toyota is starting to focus on this again. And then they brought the performance model out with the TRD edition, which is not a true TRD, I would say, in my opinion. It's the if I hate, I don't mean to interrupt. Oh, you're good. The first edition, the first edition TRD was the most true one because that gave you springs, shock. No, I don't think the shocks were different. It gave you the lowering springs, the sway bars. The only reason I know this is because uh, when I was a kid, I used to just love frs's and brz's when i mean a kid out when i was like 14 15 when they just came out because i have to remind myself that you're almost a decade younger than me (laughs) yeah don't sorry about that but like (laughs) it's just like when i was younger so i remember vividly going to the dealership and seeing like a yellow one of the first like yeah the yellow ones yeah and and it actually had different things like sway bars springs you know what i mean right uh, it had an exhaust a lighter exhaust rear exhaust section and you got the body kit like that to me was a true trd but then they've just kind of cobbed it well i think sense. i think the thing that irks me with that is that was subaru actually just kind of making Helping. sure that the brz was always going to be a little bit better 
Oh yeah. Because all I of that it. TRD stuff for that edition was basically the the BRZ whatever the the top model for the BRZ was. The premium. Yeah. That's what they yeah, call. that one. Um because that was all of that stuff basically. Now there was a little bit of of course there was some massaging that Toyota did away from Subaru as they both do. Uh, but for the most part, it was pretty much the same because now it's basically the same story. The The TRD mm-hmm. edition of the new one, which is the black with the, the TRD classic racing stripe down the side, which looks yeah. fantastic in my opinion. I, I, I'm, it, that looks really good and it turned out well. But all of the extra little bits that you get and they're going to tell you, yeah, you got a bigger sway bars, you got lower springs, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they always do lightweight i think it's like lighter weight aluminum wheels you get brembos instead of your normal uh well that was the biggest thing to me is when the 2019 brz's came out and they had brembo brakes standard i was like what yeah exactly (laughs) um it's because if you get that certain trim level and it's got like the trd pack on it and stuff like that you get the brembos but you get the brembos from the brz anyway like that's just a thing for subaru so it's kind of like, oh, well, okay, yeah, Subaru's still kind of one-upping it. But I get it at the same time because it's like Toyota built the chassis, but Subaru supplied the engine and transmission and driveline and blah, blah, blah. So they wanted to make sure that because they're basically giving the heart to the car, that theirs is just a little bit better because in the end, they knew – that the Toyota was going to outsell the Subaru probably five to one. And that's the... Oh, yeah, because the, the Subaru's price was too much. Right, exactly. They wanted it, too much to Subaru, start with. when it comes to the BRZ FRS, Subaru is definitely the premium brand over Toyota. Technically. I agree. So, plus, on top of that, and this is the number one argument that, like, when people are, like, screaming and yelling... It's so stupid that Subaru never gave the the boxer engine a turbo or anything for that car. And like, oh, you needs a turbo. I do agree that power-wise, it probably could have benefited from one, but it made sense. Why is I can tell you Subaru... Why, I can tell you why it's getting it now, though. Well, I'll get to that here in just a second. Okay, keep going. Why Sorry. would Subaru, as a company, provide an engine to another company for a car... That is going to sell to a market buyer that is going to end up being parasitic to their own product. Not just the BRZ, but also the WRX STI. Because your typical buyer of a BRZ FRS is going to be a 20-something, a teen, somebody who's probably going to college or got a year or two in college that wants a cheap, fun sports car so obviously subaru wrx's are one of the go-to college kid cars focus sts are up there like like think about what you saw in the nti parking lot that's what you would go to right and the frs brz was definitely up there so if subaru is selling toyota engines for and i'm obviously using just very round numbers they're going to sell an engine to Toyota for five bucks profit. But if they sell a BRZ at $10 profit, 
why would they purposely give their ace in the like their ace in the the sleeve to another company for less money? And that makes perfect sense. So that's why it never got the turbo. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm interested to see what your thought is on why it's getting one now. I it's actually confirmed on why it's getting okay. it. Okay, it's getting it because the the series the. I think it's Epic. I'm sorry, I'm not... I used to be a big Subaru guy, but then I really didn't care anymore. Uh, but the FA... I think it's F-Series, FA Series. Well, whatever the current series is for the uh, WRX and the STI mm-hmm. engine series, it's been the same since about 2000 and... I don't think four. I think it's even, like, the Bug Eye generation, which might be in, like, almost 90s. It's been the same engine that they've just updated. Right. Well, it's the been EJ, confirmed. The EJ engine. The, yeah, yeah, EJ engine. It's been confirmed that the turbo engine going in the FRS and the BRZ is going to be the test bed for the new WRX engine. Ah, that, okay. They're gonna, they're yeah, they're going to run it through that car. Yeah, because I, I I did see that Subaru is putting the EJ to bed for for yes, lack of better it's term. finally it's finally done they're doing what honda did with the k series or what toyota did with they, the J, jay-z's exactly <laughs> so they're using they're gonna use this because we've i don't know if this is true but i'm just gonna put this out here i think that the subaru like brz the frs i it, well, eight six whatever you want to call it now i always thought it was an experimental car anyways because they really didn't care what happened to it right because they they put direct injection on that car first, right. right? That car had so many problems because of the direct injection, because of the, how clogged up. I mean, I'm sure you've been at a Toyota dealership, so you know how many how many early uh, FRSs came right. out. So it clogs up the ports, it ruins the engines. They had the valve spring issues that literally shot out of the right. Which there's a major recall for that. If you are listening as exactly. a as a listener and you have an FRS BRZ. Go talk to your local dealership. Exactly. <laughs> so, I like I said, I really think it's always been just a test bed car. And the one thing that it, – it's kind of sad to say that, but the one thing that I think is incredibly interesting and always have is that the transmission, the diff, and the axles can handle 500 foot-pounds of torque. It, it Like that to me just boggles my mind because Subaru has always been really good about making transmissions and tra- – right everything in general so their drivetrain's always been great but that car was so beefed up from the factory but it had the worst motor in history right so like i said i think it was just an experimental car i think that they made the fa series engine they weren't direct injection and they said okay let's put direct injection on it it, it had issues but then they addressed those issues before it made it to the effort to the wrx when they put direct injection on right 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 so like I said, I think that's what it's for because it's a cheap car. The engine in general is cheap, so I think that they were willing to make the gamble that if they have to replace a pretty good amount of these, at least we're making money on the WRXs because they sell those a lot of those. Right, because that engine is actually sourced from like a lot of the Outbacks and stuff like that. I remember yeah, like some exactly. of the engine replacements that we've had to do at the shop. They've actually sourced them from like Subaru Outbacks, Foresters, yep. stuff like that. So... so I'm curious. I'm excited to see the turbos come out, but I'm just gonna go ahead and let people know this. If I buy one, if I ever buy an FRS or a BRZ, it's either gonna say stock or I'm gonna buy one without an engine in it, because I I don't really love the F. I think the FA20 is the worst engine ever made. 
uh, I would much rather have a Jay Z in the car. That's just personal. Well, yeah, because that gets it back to the well. It's a Toyota chassis, so it should have a Toyota. Exactly. Well, the chassis, the chassis has so much potential. And if anybody on here uh, wants to know, I'm my biggest racing things is endurance racing, and then I like time attack. That's what I kind of try and do personally. Well, uh, yeah, die horse. I had a Hershey or the former drift driver. I can't pronounce his name. It's too, that guy. It's too difficult for me. <laughs> yeah. He, he goes to global time attack with, uh, and he ran a FRS with a two J with 800 horsepower. And it's like with very minimal arrow. And that's just like a rear, uh, a slight APR. I think GT 1000 dual element rear wing and a very rudimentary front splitter on it. It smacked the floor with everything. And it, ha- it wasn't the most powerful car there. It didn't have as much aero there. And you could say it's down to the driver, but he doesn't do time attack on a daily basis. It's just the car was good. Right. It was just a it, good it, balance. It, yeah, the chassis was happy. Everything was good. So, Yeah, and I, I mean, it makes I sense, it too. Was, and that kind of brings me up to, I guess you could say, my my biggest pet peeve with the, the yeah. FRS and its, and its general existence as a Toyota model. Like this, this even mm-hmm. eliminates the Subaru and everything. This has nothing to do with because it has 100% to do with the car as an entity and the way that it was marketed to the All world. Right. I want to hear this. It's a GT86. That was the that was the name for it. It's a GT86. I always refer to it as a GT86. Like even when I'm talking to customers and they tell me, "Oh yeah, I've got a Scion FRS," I'm like, "No, you have a GT86." Or I'll say 86 mm. because that's what they are calling it now. Um, but well, That's what they always call it in Japan. Anyways. Right. But the thing that's always irked me is the fact that it's GT86. 86, 86 mm-hmm. obviously comes from the AE86, the Corolla. That was a great car back in the 80s. Yeah. The GT, and I remember the ads and the commercials they put, they compared it to the GT, the 2000 GT, which the 2000 GT, 1967 and 1969, was a very low, very gorgeous, gorgeous car that, like, if you squinted your eyes hard enough, it was it was an E-type. It was a Jaguar. Like, it looks just like a Jaguar because the, mm-hmm. the original creator even was quoted saying, yeah, I took major inspiration from the E-type Jaguar. Anyway... Had a straight six cylinder engine in it. it was a two door, two seater, uh, just a really good GT touring car, right? Mm-hmm. So the fact that they are pulling from that and saying, yeah, it's a GT, which it is. I mean, the body style is definitely kind of a grand tour. It's got that vibe to it. It's got back seats, but that's just because that's how the market is gone now. But the 86 part, tell me. In that chassis, or anything about how that car is designed, or anything other than simply because Toyota said so, says this is an AE86 Corolla. I, I think honestly, what it was down to is it's the same thing with like in almost any company in general. Is that they they had to find something to make people excited, you know? Right, I mean? and, and, and so, that's 
They were like, well, instead of them coming out, which is what this is what they should have done. They should have came out and said, should have said, okay, we're starting from scratch because we haven't come out with the super. This is this is back in. Let's go back in time to 2014. That I believe was it 2013. I think the first year of the FRS. Yes, it was something like yeah. that. I know, yeah, 2013. Let's go back in time. All they had to do because the super wasn't even talked about. It was like one of those things. Like, oh, I don't you even guys think the FT1 was out yet. Yeah, so. All I had to say was that, hey, we've got this new sports car because we are starting from scratch. You know, that's all they had to say. But in the Japan market, I think they felt like it would have been like kind of a betrayal if they wouldn't have tied something together, I guess. Right. Because if you, I haven't met, I've never met somebody that's like actually grew up in Japan before. I, I have. But what I mean is I never met somebody that isn't big about culture like they like this a car person. Right. They like culture. They like the same. It's kind of like when the, we had the G35 over here, but it was called a Skyline in Japan. Right, because that was a like, Skyline you know, it, it, GT because they had, or whatever. Yeah, they had, they had to – they couldn't call the 350Z a Skyline. It was called the Fairlady Z because it was obviously – That's a Z car. A Z that's car. been a Z car since 60s. Exactly. So, so they had to make the counterpart, which is the same car – called the skyline just because that was the right way to do it because if you're if a lot of people don't understand this because in 2000 i think four was the last year of the r34 or 2005 so they and then the g35 came out so it was the successor that was what it was supposed to be yeah because you know and the the g chassis because that's why g exists g chassis replaced the r chassis Exactly, and then they re- they got a bunch of backlash, and they messed up, and so then they waited, and then they in two thousand nine they came out with the GTR, which is what basically they decided we're gonna get rid of Skyline completely, and just go. With well, because like even cause even now, like a current right now twenty twenty Q fifty sedan, Infinity Q fifty sedan yeah. in Japan is still a Nissan Skyline. Yeah, it, I do agree with that. Because I mean, like, I've shown you, I've showed you those not, pictures before. Yeah, it's but it's just like, but it's not the same, right? And that's kind of my point. Is like you guys should have stopped while you're right. Own. And, and you let me I mean? make a point about that real quick too. I think that's more cultural misappropriation because yeah. we, and maybe it's different in the rest of the world, and, and it probably is. Because like you ask somebody who's from Australia or the UK or even Canada about a Skyline, they're like, "Okay, I mean, yeah, it's a cool car, but okay." It's the it's the yeah, United exactly. States that is so bloodthirsty, infatuated by them. It's because we had to wait twenty five. Yeah, because years. we never got them, and they were really good cars, but, but they're not. They're if, not. Can I all tell- holy? I guess you could say. But go ahead. Go ahead. Well, okay, the, we weren't ever planning on talking about this topic, but I kind of want to get into it. Right now. <laughs> the topic of the how stupid the prices are for these. Cars. Oh yeah, I'm actually so, gonna I stop you while you're topic. ahead. Don't get too yeah. deep into that because that is something I do want to discuss in detail. So, okay, never mind. I'm not even gonna. Okay, say cool. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely um, want to discuss that because there's a lot of a lot of different cars that i'm waiting yeah. for i mean and, i've talked to well, you about it before but 
Yeah. Well, the only thing um, I do want to tell people is that if you are a Nissan GTR fan and or a Nissan company in general fan, you may be wondering why Nissan isn't getting on the train of Toyota and making cool cars. The only reason why was because if you didn't know the principal that used to be the head of Renault had a major, because if a lot of people don't know this, but when the principals that run a lot of companies in general, they actually own stakes in other car companies. Well, the Renault uh, principal happened to own a large stake in Nissan and he did not want them making it anything cool which is why we had never gotten a, a newer gtr we just get these random updates right because supposedly he, he basically ran gotten... nissan similar to how ford ran mazda in the mid exactly but if a lot of people don't know he got into a large amount of trouble with law enforcement and he is no longer part of reno or any stake in yeah nissan, he's, so he's that's hanging why out nissan, in argentina i think yeah that is why we have heard so many rumors about the 400ZX, which is going to be the successor to the 370Z, that is supposed to have the VR30TT, which is a D-stroke version of the GTR. Yeah, because that's the same as the Q60 engine and the Q50 engine. Yep, which which the cool part about it is that Nissan, or a com- I don't think it was Nissan, a company for SEMA made a VR30 swap into a uh, 370Z and it fit really well and it did a great job. It was a really cool car. It performed very well. Which is probably what's Um, running around the Nürburgring right now with that test mule that was spotted. Exactly. Well, I mean, if... uh, I'll go ahead and tell listeners this. My One of my personal projects that was a short-term project, it has become a long-term project, is a... (laughs) Yeah, a a VQ35 uh, swap 240SX S14. It was my first car. Uh, It is a it's a 240 it's a usd dm car um i was just gonna put the swap in it and go run it but then uh i just decided to go all out with it like i'm putting a roll cage in the car because i just i just don't want to have issues with safety wise like i would rather not die in this car because if you own a 240 you know that they're tin cans yep. uh sam daly's one so he yep. knows exactly what i mean <laughs> um and also, like I made my point earlier, I'm a huge endurance racing fan, so I'm actually going to be using this car for endurance racing. But I built this VQ for a uh, boost application, but I'm actually thinking about running it NA, and if it ever has an issue, I want to put a VR30 DT uh, twin turbo in it because you can actually get those engines for like $3,000 with turbos and everything, which that to me would be great because like I've actually heard really good things right. about them. So I think, so moral of that whole little random tangent is that I think Nissan's about to blow a lot of people out of the water with their newer cars, as long as their price points are in a good spot. That's all they need to focus on is make sure everything is the uh, a decent price and it's competitive. And I think they'll do really right. well. And, and Nissan um, kind of needs to have the same thing happen that Toyota is happening having happened right now. If you, if you kind of yes. look at history, and they always say that history repeats itself, but if you look at history, Toyota kind of had a renaissance in the 80s and into the 90s where they started making these the cars that really got buyers' attention. And I don't, I can't account for the history in Japan, unfortunately. I'm just not well-versed in it. So by all mm-hmm. means, if there's listeners who are just screaming at their headphones right now, you have no idea what you're talking about. By all means, I will claim ignorance. I don't know everything. But as a citizen of the United States, 
and what I do know about the history of both the brand I work for, as well as I'm just a big car guy. I like, I'm like a walking encyclopedia. I just love random factoid information that I'm never going to use anywhere else. Toyota had a renaissance in the 80s and into the 90s. I mean, that's where the Supra came from. And I'm not talking just the Mark IV, but like the Celica Supra, the, the Celica in general. Yeah. And when it went finally went front-wheel drive and started doing the all-wheel drive stuff and the Group B rally and, and all that fun stuff, um, <laughs> just, just there's just so much rich history. And then you look at Nissan, and Nissan basically did the same thing. With they had the the resurgence of the sports car market, especially in the United States with the Sylvias, the, uh, the Sylvias, the Z cars, the Skylines. Uh, basically, I'll say the Z chassis, the S chassis, the R chassis, um, and then they started bringing out some really good front wheel drive platform stuff with the the Sentra, and just a bunch of different little things that kind of got them both back on the map with not just people who are trying to buy a car in the United States and don't want to buy a Honda or a crappy Ford or crappy Chevrolet of the late eighties, early nineties, but they wanted something that was more thrilling, more exciting, just a better fun car. Because plus you think about it from an economic standpoint, the late eighties into the nineties was a booming, booming economy for the whole world. So there was a lot of money rolling around and there was a lot of extra cash that people were like, Hey, I wouldn't mind this toy. Now, given with the whole COVID situation, uh, I know we're kind of in a holding pattern with the economy and a lot of people are hurting right now. But for the most part, other than this obvious situation, our economy was thriving. So we're kind of getting... Our economy was doing right. really well. And we're kind of in that same yeah, situation where people have a little bit of extra cash in their pocket and you're starting to see these... Um, enthusiast cars start to become popular again. We're finally getting away from the scare of 2008 where people were afraid to do anything. And I think and the manufacturers even have more cash to be yeah. able to do these little pet projects and stuff like that that otherwise wouldn't exist. I mean, there, there's a, and I'll, I'll make this argument more in detail about the Supra in a little bit, but there's a reason that they worked with BMW on that, whether you like it or hate it. If they had not done that, it would have been a hundred. Yeah, that car would not exist. And <laughs> fun little factoid: if you want to see what the Supra looks like without BMW interfering, like the true Toyota-only Supra, it does exist. It's out there being sold right now. It's just got a Lexus badge on it, and it starts at ninety-five thousand dollars for the base model. Now they didn't. Uh, what is it? I have I don't know about this. Oh, so it's the the new LC five hundred. Yeah, is it really? If you look at the proportions and you look at the 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 lines and how the LC five hundred looks, if you kind of squint your eyes and remove the obvious Lexus branding off of it, like obviously it's got the it's okay. Got... I, I I know about this. I knew about this car because like I always thought it looked really good, but I can understand. I actually th- going to be honest with you. I think the Super looks better. Yeah, yeah, no, and I and I agree. But if you look at the FT1, that concept that they brought out, that was obviously the next Supra. They never said it was the Supra, but mm-hmm. if you look at the Supra now and look at that concept, it was the Supra. I I actually think my theory is that it wasn't supposed to be the Supra, but the overall approval of the fans is what made them use right. It it's kind of a like 
it because... was kind of going that direction and whether it was intentionally going that direction or if it was like, hey, this is probably what this is going to be. And then they scrapped it. They didn't want to just scrap it because it was still a really good car and it would fill that void of a nice premium halo car for Lexus. It's kind mm-hmm. of a step down from the LFA, obviously, because that's as much of a muscle flex as that was for Lexus. It was it was completely impractical. Um, well, Lex- Lexus actually lost every bit of right. money. That was car and a because it was a project that I am actually okay. I'll just go into this really quick because I Lexus LFA is one of my dream cars. I'll never own one, <laughs> but I think they're really neat. I think they sound amazing. It is not a lot of people don't understand. It's there's nothing that is the epiphany of an enthusiast car because it was never good at anything. It sounded good. It drove good. It was decently fast, but it wasn't good setting Nuremberg record setting fast. It wasn't zero to 60 fast. It was a overall just an enthusiast right. car and about halfway through production. Well, not production halfway through development. They realized that that car wasn't going to be able to make any money because they were hitting roadblock because like of the motor it, and it, I think it was mostly just due to the motor, how expensive it was to make it. And they just decided if I remember right, because I used to know the whole history on it. It's just been so long because that car has been out for so long now. And you can still buy them new. <laughs> there, there was, yeah, there was a large roadblock that made them have to redo like half of right. the project. And they decided just to go ahead with it because they said, we're going to make this car. It's I think not it, if I remember money, correctly, because I kind of vaguely remember what you're talking about, I think it had something to do with the frame. Like, I think you're right. I think they couldn't get the chassis stiffness correct, so I think they had to read like it wasn't able to handle like what the car right was like they do. were originally trying so to use to like a fiberglass it. composite or something like that for one of the, the supports, and yeah. they realized so they, they, they had to go it, carbon fiber um, or carbon composite or whatever, and they had to completely scrap yeah. the original chassis and rebuild it from the ground up. Yeah. So. um they did that. They rebuilt it. They kept going. They brought Yamaha in to do the exhaust. That's why. Well, Yamaha so built good. the engine too. I mean, yeah, but like, they're the reason why it has that high pitch, like almost, it's basically a motorcycle engine. Is realistically ten cylinders. What it is is <laughs> yes, but like, I, the, while we're on this topic, because we're in Toyota, so this will fit in great. So Yamaha was brought in to make the 1j and help with right. the 2j they didn't fully develop the 2j they helped with the 2j but they fully developed the 1j uh dvci especially because all the valve train like that was the first shot at that why every time toyota and yamaha get together they make these amazing things and then they haven't done it more often. well i mean they 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 actually do it quite often it's just never really credited they do it quite often but you don't but Exactly. That's that's what I'm talking about. Like you don't. I like, think that okay. I think the one JZ engine. Everything says. I think that kind of goes back to the point you made though about how the Japanese function as their culture. You're right because if you said if you put Yamaha and everything, people would get upset. Well, that. But Yamaha as a brand is seen as a a that's like saying. Um mcdonald's over here i know that's a horrible comparison but it, it, it's not for the product it's for yeah. the name recogni- rec- recognition yamaha is just a staple mm-hmm. brand in the japanese culture 
And again, mm-hmm. if you're a listener and I have no idea what I'm talking about, by all means, call me out. But Yamaha is just known for putting products out there. They're kind of a, a jack of all trades. They've, they've had their hands in a lot of stuff, but they just put out really good products. They're always quality. They're always state of the art. Um, just they're, they know what they're doing. And Yamaha has been building cars for years. I'm talking since what the 30s 40s something like that uh i can tell the you the original 2000 gt the going back to that car the original 2000 gt yamaha originally started in 19 okay so it was the 50s okay so i'm a, I'm a little inaccurate there yeah because they have they have well they okay this is the crazy part so they originated with right. music well, that's why the they, they were so that good was, at tuning that, the exhaust. That was that that was 1887 is when Yamaha Music Foundation okay. was. Okay, so yeah, they've they've been doing it this for a until while. Ni- yeah, so it wasn't until 1955 that Yamaha established a motor. Okay, company. well, regardless, that they were until... probably doing some type of engineering or some something yeah, along well, that line. It's kind, it's ironic because like. Oh, Mitsubishi did the same thing. Right, and look at Mitsubishi. Other than a car cars. company, look at Mitsubishi as a company. They're massive. Well, that's why, like, uh, like I think I've always laughed about this, but uh, how people say, "Oh, Miss or Mitsubishi is going to go out of business," and it's like, okay, you don't realize that Mitsubishi's primary income yeah, is cars. That's almost like a pet it's, project. It's actually. It's actually, uh, I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, it's CNC, uh, like, coating. Because there's a big Mitsubishi dealer right beer Roush Yates, actually, in Mooresville, that they just built. Well, not dealer, but building. And they actually do every bit of Roush Yates' R&D right. now. So they'll send them a file of, like, a part they're going to make, and Mitsubishi actually goes through and fixes everything that needs to be fixed. And they run it before they send the file back, and then all Roush Yates does is just print, yeah, they, they just, just they just push it. the That's button. You. They don't, yeah, they don't do anything. They don't do any R and D anymore. So like, it's kind of neat that Mitsubishi's gotten to that point. But uh, now that we're at an hour, I'm gonna take a quick reminiscent or and go do something. And I'll be right back in like five okay. minutes. <laughs> if you, know. yeah, sorry. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep talking to the listeners though, just so they can kind of get an idea of where I'm at here. So okay. anyway, my, my to circle back to the original thought that I was having, because I, I know we got on one hell of a tangent, is going back to the GT86 and its general existence. Um, I just, I feel like they, they named that car wrong. It's basically, in my mind, it definitely deserves the GT part of the GT86. But the 86 part, I don't think it 100% matches up with the fact that it's a Corolla. I mean, a Corolla that we think about now is obviously a front-wheel drive Econobox for the most part, which I'm happy that they have changed that, and that's the whole point of this conversation. But to call it a GTA, or to call it an 86, I feel like it's a little bit of a misnomer because I just don't feel like there's anything AE86 or original Corolla-esque in that car. If anything, if you look at the timeline of the 2000 GT, 
to the different cars that followed it, at some point, the Celica existed. And then the Celica evolved into the Celica Supra. And then the Supra became its own independent model. And the Celica became the front-wheel drive car that it became. And it kind of shared the same platform with the Corolla whenever the Corolla went to that platform as well. So in my opinion, if anything, I almost feel like there should be like a Celica badge on it. But at the same time, I don't feel like it does either that car justice because of what the Celica became as well a Celica on the, the, G, the GT86. You know, I could see it. Well, like I was just saying, is because like you think about it, the 2000 GT, when it existed in the 60s, mm-hmm. that car was then followed up by the yeah. original Celica in the 70s. That Celica mm-hmm. then turned yes. into the Celica Supra. And that became the okay. Celica and the Supra, which is two independent models, which the Supra obviously went down the road that it went down as becoming the big, powerful uh, Grand Tour sports coupe. And the Celica became the four-wheel drive, front-wheel drive, depending on trim, uh, more of a economy, but still sport coupe. It was more, it was more family-friendly, I guess you could say, versus the Supra was like, um, Camaro Corvette. Corvette's the Supra, the yeah. Celica's the Camaro kind of a thing. So I don't think the Celica name necessarily fits on the GT86, but I feel like it fits more than trying to force the idea of the AE86 is the same as a GT86, because it's not, in my opinion. The 86 part of that name just doesn't fit other than the fact that Toyota was just trying to grab onto something that's pop culture important right now because drifts like drift world and, and people associate that name easily. Well, you've also got to remember that it was also in a time frame where uh, initial D kind of made its right. That's what I'm saying is like, it, like the, the, the younger yeah, market would back. recognize a, re- a, a branding to the AE86 more than to the actual history of what that car could have represented. Like, if they would have just simply you said, know, because you know one of the things that I remember them saying about the GT86 is the reason we're calling it the GT86 is because it's got the handling dynamics of the original Corolla 86. And I call crap on that because it's like, okay, so you're saying this car handles really well because the 86 did. Why can't you just say that it handles really well and let the car speak for itself? You know what made me really mad? What? This is really dumb, but this I was always really upset by this. was uh, When it was an right. FRS, right? Do you remember on the fenders how it had the badging and it said yeah. 8.6 on it? That made me really mad because I was like, that just... Like, why would you have that on there? Because I understood, we already all knew this, that it was a Toyota 86 right. in Japan, right? It's like, if you're going to call it a different name, don't have a badge that resembles what it was, you know, in a different, like, they do that a lot, like any company in general, if it's called some, like, they they just don't, they don't go the right. extra mile, if you get what I mean, to make the car solely right. what that car is, and that's what I've always... But yeah, that's why that's that's but why that's like, why I, I almost wish they would have just called it like the GT Coupe or 
or I, mean, I don't want them to call back to the 2000 GT because it's not that either. But well, they they could have they could have called it just an FRS. Like it could have been an, a Toyota FRS and a Scion FRS. It could have been the same name. It didn't. Which have I don't even different. understand what FRS stood for. Like I I uh, don't know where they just plucked that name out of the air. Oh wow! That's so what does it stand for? It's it's it stands for Front Engine Rear Drive Sport Edition. It was literally the engine, because uh, it's an FR right front engine rear wheel drive. So they literally they literally took a an acronym and put it in the so name. What the hell put does an BRZ stand for? <laughs> uh, let's see. I think that was just their clever super. I mean. Well, I'm really weird about cars. So, like, the only BRZ I've ever, like, lusted after would be the uh, Hyper Blue Edition. Because it had, it was the really bright blue on the outside. And it was the blue in, uh, it was blue in, like, a navy blue with black right. interior. And I, I, I'm a blue person. That's kind of part of it. But still, it was, like, the only one that I ever that's wanted. The, that's I the same World Rally Blue that they use on, like, the, the WRX and everything, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Well, no, 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 not the dark. It's not dark. It's like it just if you look up bl- uh, blue. Well, yeah, because because World blue Rally Blue is is a very vivid bright it a, blue. It, it was a lot brighter. It, it what it what it represent like you know a Focus RS you know the launch launch mm-hmm. color blue. It was oh, okay. very similar to that. Okay, yeah, that's what it was. So BRZ stands for Boxer Rear Drive Zenith. Like Zenith, Z E N I T H, and it doesn't give any explanation. It's probably Zenith like a code for. name for the chassis or something like that, like GM Alpha chassis or something like that. Um. Oh, I know why. Okay, Zenith is because it's the first rear-wheel drive Subaru since the Sumi van that finished production in '86. 1986. That is actually that's kind of ironic. Hilarious. That huh. is ironic. Okay. Wow. So anyway, okay. <laughs> um, that is that is really yeah. Ironic. But anyway, so getting um, back to the original know. point though, as far as what this car means for Toyota, and I do want to kind of wrap this up because mm-hmm. there's some other very important pieces that I want to get to as far as Toyota going to the going forward. <laughs> I just used their slogan. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, I, yeah, I know there, it's so. bashed into my head every day. Anyway, um, the GT86 as a car was really good, and I think it was a, for lack of better terms, it was a home run when they, it it did the job it needed to do when they needed it to do it. It brought that inspiration and that passion back to Toyota, and it captured the otherwise Toyota sports car essence that existed from the 80s and the 90s in the Celicas, in the Supras, even in the the old AE86 and stuff like that, like that that Toyota sports car essence, right? And and it it really did that well. Yeah, it could have probably used a turbo. Sure, whatever. But, you know, know, honestly, you want to know my true opinion on what they should have done with hmm. the partnership? They should have come together with Subaru, said, okay, we're going to make 
the chassis, the engine will make the chassis in the drive line together. Right. Right. But we're gonna make we're gonna make the engines be our own. You know what I mean? Because in my opinion, if you were to take in the the FRS eighty six and put a updated version of the beams motor in it, which people have put plenty of beams motors in these cars. Listen, if you were to put the updated version of the beams in line four with two hundred horsepower and then done a uh, like a premium or a TRD edition for thirty five thousand with a turbo that made three hundred horsepower, you would have outsold the three seventy Z. You might have pulled people from Camaro away. You might have pulled people from a Mustang away, because you all of a sudden out of nowhere have this car that has three hundred horsepower that weighs less than three thousand pounds, and it is right. Really but then I drive. think that would that would and have been I parasitic think... in the long run. The Supra, because I have a feeling they had Supra in that, the works already. My... Oh yeah, a hundred percent. And it's that's the only it, reason why. It's just like, like you don't like, want the Camaro to take away customers from the Corvette. To have kind of a thing. Until until the Camaro family has to fi- fix problems with the Corvette, right. <laughs> because the Camaro the Camaro team is what fixed the. Uh, if a lot of people don't know this, but the Camaro team fixed the overheating issue yeah. of the LT4. Uh-huh. Anyway. Not not the Corvette team. <laughs> so, so anyway, I digress. <laughs> we heavily digress because we, we've been on a 45-minute tangent here. Um, yeah, it was, right. It was okay. The FRS, BRZ, GT86, whatever the hell you want to call it, as a car was great. As a marketing campaign yep. work, I have my displeasures with yep. the naming process, but whatever. Bygones be bygones. They have confirmed yes, that another yeah. FRS is coming out, and it's going to have a turbo engine of some form in it. Probably going to be, like you said, the next generation. We'll call it the next generation EJ, but it's not an EJ. It's it's what's replacing it. It's mm-hmm. basically the Evo 10 engine that replaced the 4G63 that was used for two decades, basically. It's that level of next generation hopefully it's better than how that whatever that engine was that replaced the ej or the uh the uh 4g63 or the 4g in general it was i as was i don't know anything about uh, about mitsubishi one second no i would I well, I never wanted an Evo 10, so I never really paid that much attention to it because everybody I talked to says the motors had to need a lot more work than yeah, the 4063 ever did. Um, uh, it was called, the yeah, Ford that's it, 4B11. I remember, okay, I remember yeah. one of our friends talking which, about that. So. It was a, yeah, so which is unfortunate because, like. It was cool. It just it they just said it, it couldn't take the beating like Evo as well. Now, if listeners out there have Evo money, you are lucky because Evos are expensive and they're really fun, but they're way right. too expensive. <laughs> too for expensive for my taste. But <laughs> because, anyway, well, I, so the next generation FRS BRZ GT eighty six. I hope they just call it the GT. I hope they drop the eighty six. I hope they just call it the GT because that's what it is. It yeah, I they know. won't. I can't. Dreamers can dream, right? That is going to be one of two sports cars in their lineup. And then they have this Corolla over here 
and they've already stuck the TRD badge on the Camry and Avalon, which I will say they didn't just stick a badge on. They actually got those cars right. They they handle well. They sound great because they both have the, the Toyota V6. Uh, they make 300 and some change horsepower, which when you're in a four-door family sedan, that's still pretty stout. No, you're not going to be breaking Nurburg lap records, yeah. but not every car has to do that. They fill their positions very well, and it's bringing this sense of performance passion back to Toyota. I have a theory, and I have a prediction. My theory and prediction is that two more cars are coming. One of them is going to be a front-wheel drive or possibly all-wheel drive four-seater two-door coupe. I'm really praying that it gets the Celica name because I don't think you can have a Supra without a Celica. I I just feel like it's going to have a void. And then there's one other name that's missing from Toyota's lineup that would be the true trifecta of Toyota re-grasping their performance history. In 2018, Subaru hinted at a concept. They they released a concept car, and I don't remember what show it was. I want to say it was the LA Auto Show. Might have been New York. It was one of the big shows in the United States. Of a two-seater, two-door, mid-engine sports coupe with a boxer engine. Yeah, uh, it was confirmed, I think, that it's going to be an MR2. Yeah, done. Beat me Isn't to the point. Gonna be? Um, but basically, yeah. Subaru said, yes, we really want to build this car. But it has no place in their lineup, really, if you think about it. Like, Subaru's never done that. No, it doesn't. They've never done a mid-engine sports coupe that I can think of, at least not in production form. Um. But Toyota has. Toyota's got three generations of a car for that that for that purpose. And it was really popular. A lot of people love it. I love them. I personally I would love to have a Gen 2. It would make sense to use a boxer engine because low center of gravity, you can get it lower. That's the main reason why they used it in the, the GT86, is because you can get the, the yep. hood line lower, you can get the whole chassis lower, like it's just a better car because center of gravity. It would make sense for them to build an MR2, a current like a modern MR2 with a boxer engine, stuff it in the back, kind of Lotus Elise-ish in a way, I guess you could say. And just 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 like it didn't even have to have the turbo, though I do say that that I think they learned that lesson with the with the um GT86. I almost would have to say you'd have to release at least two trim levels, one with and one without, kind of a thing. Uh, I mean, hell, the Supra was with and without, if you think about it. But I would really, really, really love to see that. And the evidence is there. The technology is there. The infrastructure is there. It almost just needs the green light. And I think the way that, aside from the the disgruntlement of uh, the purists screaming and yelling, as well as all of the uh, Facebook uh Facebook uh, warriors 
who say that the super is yeah the keyboard warriors that are just saying that the 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 super is absolute crap because it's a BMW. No, it's still a phenomenal sports car. Mm-hmm. It's still a well handling sports car. It's still a great enthusiast car. Please fix the buffering yeah. issues, but other than I, I, that, it's a great car. <laughs> I want to tell uh, listeners, I was a very big hater on the Mark V, the fifth generation Supra. I really didn't like it. I made my opinion vocal for a long time, but you kind of, you finally understand is like, okay, this is a really cool car. I understand why they did it. And the more you think about it, the more like what you would use that car for. Right, like it's like sense. you think about it, what is what is its competition? It's the, the it's Porsche really Cayman S, the Z4, I and guess. the yeah. I wouldn't say the M2 because it's not the M2. It's like the 235i M Sport, whatever the hell the newest. Oh, just so you know, uh, I just wanted to give uh, before we get too far off on your point on the MR2. Apparently. Because I just did a little bit of research while I mm-hmm. had a chance while you were talking, the MR2 project was given, uh, is like was given to the GR right. uh, boss as a, but he said it's not a priority because the new GR right. Well, it, and it makes sense. It makes sense, and that's why Which I'm almost kind of curious. It's like, okay, what do you got up your sleeve if you're doing a turbo coupe sports car that isn't the Supra? And we've already confirmed that the GT86 yeah. is getting another generation. I wonder if they're going to strip the GT86 of its name and call it like the GT Celica or the Celica GT. That would make perfect sense in my mind. So I okay. almost wonder because I don't see space in Toyota's lineup for four sports cars. I do see space in Toyota's mm-hmm. lineup for three sports cars. Though. Have the Supra, which is the big boy. Have the Celica which is like the entry-level front-engine sports coupe, and then have the MR2, which is the quirky, weird mid-engine car like it always was. And you would be basically back to the 90s where you got three sports cars that fill three different holes and all do so very well. Well, I'll be... I want to... Uh, I know we're getting kind of lengthy on this one, but let me tell you my little prediction of I think the next 10 years of uh, cars are going to be. I think we've already seen that the sedan and hot hatch market is kind of downsizing right. a little bit. They're not as popular as they were. Um, if m- a lot of people don't know, but most of the large SUV market is right. also going downhill. It's mostly the middle level SUV, like CUVs, like whatever anybody wants to call them. Is the reason why is they're on a sedan chassis, which is kind of funny and ironic. But they're on a sedan chassis. You sit higher up by a little bit, and your the greenhouse effect, which what I use the term greenhouse for, is what the actual engineers use is how much light as far as glass. Right, it's just the overall glass area of the, the vehicle. Cool. The glass area is actually bigger, and they found that people are more comfortable with that compared to a sedan because you have a lower roof line, you have a shorter window. So, and in safety standards, your doors have actually gotten bigger. You've noticed that because they actually want more of the door covering up to your shoulder than they do the glass just for safety impact reasons. So, that's why 
I think personally that we're going to see a shift that there's going to be more cool specific cars because the one thing that's never going to change is that there's car enthusiasts are always going to exist. There's always going to be a market for us. So that's a good thing. So I think you're going to see more sports cars or more special editions of random, like say hatchbacks or something like that, because they realize that there's still these people that are going to buy their daily driver and then they're going to yeah, buy they, their fun You car. still need that uniqueness on your lot. Exactly. Because if you just get rid of all of that, then you're going to lose a lot of customers and nobody's going to want to buy anything. And But then people would get over it, obviously. But I just don't think you could ever get rid of that part of the market. They sell – obviously, we haven't gotten rid right, of it. Right, because, yet. I mean, again, so going back still to something selling. I said from last week. A business is in business to make money. And if a product is not making money, yes. they're not going to sell that product. So the fact that there is still a so, market for these niche cars, even though they're small in comparison to the mm-hmm. 100,000 uh, for Toyota, the CHRs or the Highlanders or the whatevers, there's still a yep. market for the super. There's still a market for the GT86. There's still a market for this hot hatch Corolla. It's still profitable. Yeah. And it's still profitable. That's the main thing. They're making money, and that's the only reason why they're doing it. And it's the one thing that I, like I said, honestly, I got turned around. I think the Super is honestly a really good job. Uh, the only thing I don't particularly like is that the fact that everything has a BMW part number on it. I think that's kind of like kind of sad, just because it, down to the the Toyota. Right, and that's mostly just because they use. That, I mean, we can get into me, the whole logistics of it and stuff like they, that. But yeah, but like it's just me as a car enthusiast. Kind of, I think that is sad because like I get that you guys co-develop this car. Like you pop the hood and you look at the strut towers. That is clearly a BMW like right. design. You know, obviously, it's like, like, like I said, I do like the car. I think it's perfect. Like they are a lot smaller in person than they are in photos, which is kind of neat because so it's kind right. of a smaller car, so it's better to use for daily driving in comparison to how big they are. Or how big they look. So you can drive them around. You can really enjoy them. They got decent luggage space. If you're a car enthusiast, I don't know if a lot of you pay attention, but if you a lot of the B58's been around for a while, so there's a lot of aftermarket bolt-on turbo kits you can do. That right. I mean, you think about it, it's, it's OEM basically turbos. just a detuned version of what the current been, 335 has, I believe. Yeah. So, like, this motor's been around. It's been tried and tested. Uh if their Toyota claimed at their press launch that they went to BMW's engineering facility and they completely tore down the motor and they gave their input and they changed things, they claimed that. But honestly, I don't really think they did. I think that they just got together with with uh, BMW and BMW said this is our best in line six we have at the moment with a turbo that fits your needs for your car. You know because. Personally, I wanted to bring this up to you because I don't think you've noticed this. Toyota is all about the Supra. Like, all in, let's talk about it. BMW is not all about the Z4. They are not. That is honestly not their car they're pushing. The cars that they're pushing are the M2, the M3. If we're talking about performance cars, that is the M2, the M3, and the M4. Well, the well, M4 I think that, kind of died off a bit. I think they that kind of really gets talked. to... 
BMW as a company as well. You think about BMW, the Z4 yeah, was never the poster the, child. It was definitely a cool car that existed, think, but it was not but, BMW's go-to kind of a thing. That's always been the M3. Yeah, but I, but honestly, I really think that I think BMW is making money on the backhand with I think super sales. I think personally, well, that, that and, and that kind of gets back into Toyota. the logistics of it and why all the super part numbers are BMW part numbers is because that was part of the agreement is between the two companies as an international car. It just made more sense to produce the car in Europe. And that way it's kind of centrally located between Japan, United States, Europe, Asia. Well, Asia is Japan, but um, it just, it makes more sense. And BMW has more access to materials that are on that caliber than Toyota does. Like, if you look at the interior of a Toyota, it looks great. It looks good. They're up to date. They're using good materials. But then you look at the materials inside of a Supra, and you're like, oh. Yep. Now the Toyota looks like crap. Because just the overall materials are better. And that's why Toyota said, okay, y'all are just better at this than we are. Y'all have better products and better materials you go ahead and build it for us we'll do all the engineering and get the chassis right and then we'll cut the roof off and you can make it whatever you want and that's that's basically that story so i do disagree with you in sense that i i do believe that toyota genuinely took time and went through the engines top to bottom maybe not to the extent of what they claim but definitely at least a little bit because I know Toyota as a company is Let's super, be, super critical about reliability though, no matter BMW what. BMW is also really like – they're weird about their motors. They get, they get pretty upset if people like call them out. Well, I think it partially details that partially exists simply because the N54 yeah. engine, the previous straight six – was really, really, really good engine, but You're it had right. a true. crap ton of problems. So I think that's what that is. And they, they really needed to kind of like, Toyota was like, okay, we know your history. We hope your B-series, I'm just going to call it a B-series. Mm-hmm. We hope your B-series is a lot better. And if it's not, mm-hmm. we're going to come after you kind of a thing. So they basically let Toyota go, okay, yeah, we approve this, we approve this, well, we approve this. Pocketdoc is kind of a uh, racing so. Formula Drift, if people want to look him up. If you can go on the YouTube channel, he tore it all the way apart, showed everything about it. His He's an engineer, and that's his specialty, and he made over 1,000 horsepower on it, and has they haven't really had that many issues with it, like in their testing, obviously, like over a season, we'll see, but... I'm kind of excited to see that because in drifting is just ridiculous. Like it's not my favorite thing, but it is ridiculously harsh on every piece of equipment on any vehicle. So, you, yeah, you're gonna really right. You're you're you fighting really a lot of test that platform, and if you so, like it's gonna be cool to see how hard and if what breaks. If you get what I mean, because we all know that. Well, right. I'm, this is a another argument at some point when we have like probably a motors discussion but the 
the Jay-Z was known back in, like, I would say the mid-2000s as this unstoppable beast that doesn't break and all this and that, but recently it's just shown the opposite. If you know anybody personally that has a, a Jay-Z of any good caliber, you know what I'm talking about. They have, we've been seeing failures that we haven't really been seeing, and it's unfortunate. Uh, I just think it's age. That's just me, because we've been pulling these motors now for over t- probably 20 years or 15 20 years and i just think that right there's it's just so it's just weird that you've got these thousand horsepower cars that used to handle it and now we're seeing jay-z's break at 700 horsepower mark left and right like i know of at least three people personally that have recently put either uh, mostly 1Js, but 1Js are supposed to be reliable up to 500, but I know two people that have broke 1Js recently, and I know one person that broke a 2J recently, and they're also very credible people that I know don't skip costs and don't don't skip like small issues that could be a terminal failure. So I'm just curious, like uh, how, because I think we need new blood. I think we need new, new ideas. We've been having these engines like SR twenties and RBs for so long. I think we just need new updates. Like the first person to do it, in my opinion, was, uh, Nissan when they came out with their VQ series, it was supposed to be the modern update and the modern change for the RB. It was a V, it was a V six versus an inline six with an aluminum. Or even, or even think about this, um, the LT. You, you, yep. You've had the almighty LF since 1997. Everybody praises it like it's a god, they but up, look what they GM did. LT, they brought out the, the new LT in 2014. A few other little minor tweaks here and there. I mean, the LT was kind of in production for a long time when you had the the DOD on the early model, like uh, Silverados. And... Right, yeah. You, you, could, you could solidly argue that the LT is just generation yeah. two but of you... the LS. So it's just that of all the good so, was kept, but all the bad. I just think as car enthusiasts thing, in general, I think we should be excited to see new things. That's all. That's all I'm saying is try and open your eyes and just look at these new ideas and these new platforms that people have come out with. And don't look at it as, a, hey, I can't afford that right now. Look at it as that might be in your budget in 10 years. You know, that'll be maybe the next 240. Like, well, I mean, I I've even said yeah, that see, is like, I want to pick up a super in two to three years, like like once it well, gets recently, below the like, thirty five thousand mark. I want to find a good daily driver replacement when I get rid of or I time. So see, my C five Corvette's my daily driver right now. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'll sell you an S fourteen. I already daily drove <laughs> one for five years. I'm good. So, uh, so. I'm, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm looking kind of two to, two to three years down the road. I'm trying to figure out what car I want, and uh, because I'm gonna the first car I'm gonna get before I get any another car is a truck because I need a truck to tow cars. Because when you have race cars, you need a truck, and that's the one thing right. I'm a lot. Those, those race cars break. <laughs> so, I've, and a Supra has honestly recently been on my radar. I think it would be a really good daily driver. Um, I just want to see the longevity. That's really it. Like how everything does, you know, how it holds together. Um, the gearbox that is in that was designed by BMW, and it's about as close as you're going to ever get to a sequential, but not. They are very fast. They do very well. Yep. 
Right. The, it is the ZF is, is just a really in good gearbox and in general. We've seen multiple uh, new Supras go to the drag strip and beat the crap out of them. They haven't broken them yet, which is. Well, you think about it too. It's in it's oh, in other vehicles absolutely. that are way higher horsepower and, like, than the Supra, honestly, and the they, ZF they gearbox is so uh, cool that. Like I know of right now, the one of the guys that's in Professional Awesome, which is a aero company, he owns a Cobra kit car. He's actually putting one in his Cobra kit car because mm-hmm. he because he well he figured it out. He's like, hey, mm. uh, I autocrossed this Cobra, and you can't beat a computer, and that is the and in shifting. So he's gonna do that in his Cobra. Like right. that's super cool. Uh, I know. There's drag car uh, 350Zs and 370Zs that are they've made adapter plates for the ZF gearbox, which is really neat. It's just it's cool. Like we are, a lot of people don't realize we're in the best era for anything performance we've ever been in. There are so many engineers that are making these really cool things that we have access to to hit. Like think about when was there an era right. even like our our parents or like that were car enthusiasts and stuff where you could literally like order anything you could think of almost. And there is, yeah, like Probably we are in a really good era. I mean, it. with this COVID-19, we, everything's been put on hold, but you know, I'm just, ex- I'm excited for the future. Uh, Toyota right. I think, has done a really good job. I think they're finally kind of leading the charge of the Japanese manufacturers to bring back the cool cars which, like I said, Nissan should not be very far behind, which I'm excited about. Uh, as I'm as I'm sitting here scrolling through Facebook, a R thirty four Ford War just popped up on my um, page, which made and me then also <laughs> I think Mitsubishi's already got random things here and there about the Evo coming back, which Mitsubishi, I I'm worried because I feel like the Evo is going to come back as like a crossover, and I'm. Mitsubishi to me was always kind of the like well, the they... that child of the Japanese market. Though again, going back to kind of what you said, their main purpose yeah. is not to be a car company. They just kind of did it. So them not existing as a car company doesn't but it matter to them, to them or the market, it. kind of a thing. Yeah, like but... only because I think it's profitable. Well, anybody and, that and they do like... need profits. I don't know, like, if you are a Evo or an STI owner, you are a, it, you, you're one or the other, you're not both, usually. You know, yeah, you know that if you right, are an STI, on that. Uh, if you want to push big power, you've got to build the motor, or honestly, nowadays, everybody goes to a 2-liter motor, and they don't even, which is out of a WRX, usually, uh, and they run those high horsepower because they figured out the lower displacement actually lasts longer. So that's interesting. But beside the point, you either you have to rebuild the motor and because they just don't hold power. But the rest of it's great. And then when you have an Evo, you have the opposite. You have this motor that can handle a good amount of power and torque, but you everything else around it just shatters. So like there is Evos that have broken right. transfer cases in transmissions and stock power because they're just driving. So it's just kind of funny. Right. It's that that to me has always been like hilarious because you've got the complete polar opposite owners because and you've got the complete polar opposite cars. 
and then you and then you lost one. You lost the Evo, and now you're just left with the WRX STI. And honestly, they haven't really changed anything. Like the motor's been the same. They've done small updates over the years, but they haven't re- revolutionized this car. They never have. They just made it nicer. That's really what they did. They just made it nicer on the inside and nicer to right. look at it on the outside. It's just, but they haven't done anything crazy. But there's no competition now. Like the closest competitor is an RS Focus. So, right. I guess if we're gonna, because we're gonna end this really soon, the podcast. But uh, all I'm gonna say is I think right. that it's gonna be interesting. Uh. It's going to be interesting to see where the SCI ends up, if it ends up staying alive or if it ends up dying. Who knows? It just If it's still profitable, it'll still make it. But we know that the they're going to get a whole new engine design, so we'll see where that goes. We know Toyota's, you're very positive. I think you're right. I think it, you're going to see something very different come around. So I'm I'm hopeful for the future. I don't know about you. Right, and, and and as as am I, I I, I want to go back to that point that you made, where I do believe that these these niche cars are going to continue to exist, yeah. and if anything, they're going to become more outlandish in their their existence because they are to serve one single purpose, and that is just to be weird and be fun and be that enthusiast car. And as commuter cars become more SUV driven, as well as we're looking at EV and all that yes, kind of stuff, that's another agree. argument for another day. Um, that it's going to be interesting to see where the market goes mm-hmm. for the normal people, as well as where the market goes for the enthusiasts. Because, like you said, no. the enthusiast is never going to go away. So there's always going to be a market for it, and I think the companies know that especially these companies that have these very, very rich histories and rich cultures and, and stuff like that. They can't just go numb. I mean, look at Toyota. They, it was they, they went numb for almost a decade uh, in the 2000s, and, and they really suffered for it. I mean, Toyota's still they're suffering for it. When, when you get into this world where the Prius becomes your most popular car, then then – <laughs> what do you what do you have to live for i guess you could say that's uh, very macabre to say but but it kind of it, it kind of tells that story though so I, I agree with you i do have a lot of faith and a lot of excitement for the future and i'm curious to see um i want to have the same conversation for yeah. nissan once we get some more information uh because i do feel like they've got quite yeah. a few tricks up their sleeve very soon um, and I do feel like we're getting ready to see this kind of, uh, just as the American car companies did, they had their horsepower war in the early teens, like 2010, when the return of the Camaro and the Mustang got better. Because you think about it, kind of going back to what you said, with the uh, the STI WRX, the Mustang was pretty stagnant for almost a decade as well until the Camaro came back. And then again, yep. Ford had something to fight about. So I do agree with that. That is a very important element. You don't really have incentive to build a better car if you have nothing to compete against. So I do think that these things are going to continue to pop up and still kind of throw some blows with each other because companies do need to have an identity. They need to have a culture. So I do, uh, I do think that it is going to continue to exist. And I'm, I'm curious to see 
what people come up with, what companies come up with, and where they take it. So, uh, with that being said, though, well, do no, you have any uh, last thoughts other or anything than me, like you that? Could talk about one topic way too long. So, yeah, that is also true. Um, <laughs> that is extremely one hundred percent. I think it was. I mean, well, it, I think it's good. It's good uh, conversation. If anybody's listening this far, uh, that was a really good topic because we expanded on it really well, and I'm kind of happy because we did not expect it go that far into everything i'll be honest but it was i think it was a productive conversation so uh anyway but definitely as we said last last time uh we would love to hear from you guys and see what you think your opinions are about it um please by all means tell us that we are completely wrong and idiots if you feel so Um, we just, we want to hear from you guys because we, we know that there's a lot of people out there that are like-minded like us that love to just figure out and mm-hmm. conspiracy theory and stuff like that. Um, as always, give us a, give us a shout on any of these socials. We have Facebook at Torque oh, Talk Radio. You made a Facebook. Uh, Instagram is Torque Talk Radio as well. When did you do that? Yeah, we got a, you... a Facebook as well. And you? Uh... About the same time that I started using oh, this app, okay, cool. told me that so, I needed to add it. I, I didn't know that. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yep, it's there. Um, you also have your, uh, your email address at torquetalkradio at yep. gmail.com. Just give us a shout. Also give us ideas on what you guys might want to hear about. If you want to hear the, the age old Camaro versus Mustang battle, or if you want to talk about Evo and STI, by all means, we, uh, we are definitely for it. We don't claim ourselves to be, uh, professionals in any way or any specific thing, but we uh, we know a little about a lot and love to talk about it. So, by all means, give us a shout. With that being said, I think we're going to wrap it up here. You too. Mr. Brock, you have a wonderful night. Thank you, thank you, and everybody yes. have a great day. Stay you safe out there. Too. Have a good night. One. Bye-bye.